Hello, Shades of Hope podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in for another episode and a special episode this week. We had the opportunity to have a conversation with the podcasters from the Center for Congregations. The Center for Congregations supports the work that we're doing in the Shades of Hope podcast. And we had a great conversation with Matt and Ben from the Center, and we hope that you enjoy it as well. Welcome to season three of the Shades of Hope podcast. These are frank conversations between two friends who are committed to the role of the church in the work of racial justice. These conversations will help you understand how Jesus's life and ministry were about justice for all people and will inspire you to actively engage in the work of reconciliation and justice wherever you find yourself. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. Matt and I are excited to talk with two pastors today, Reverend Dr. Clarence Morg and Pastor Jeff Krajewski. There you go. You got it. You got it. Yeah, that hesitation was because I'm not familiar with the name. I want to make sure I got it right. I mispronounced it earlier. So we're excited. This is a collab episode. This is the second collab that we at the Center for Congregations have done. And Pastor Jeff and Reverend Dr. Moore's podcast is the Shades of Hope podcast. Have y'all done a collaboration like this before? We have not. No, we haven't. Exciting. Exciting. So since both audiences are listening, I'll just name that Matt and I work for the Center for Congregations, which is a nonprofit funded by the Lilly Endowment. And our main mission is to support Indiana congregations in living out their mission and serving their communities. And we do that a variety of ways. But for our audience that isn't as familiar with the Shades of Hope podcast, I'd love for y'all just to do an intro and tell us about who you are, what you do, and how you got here. How did this podcast start? Pastor Jeff, go first. Well, hey, first of all, thank you for having us. And we joked earlier, but this is your fault. Pastor Moore and I's relationship developed out of the work that the center is doing. And one of the things that the center also has been generous to do is help us to continue some of the work that has come out of our relationship and out of our congregation's relationship in the area of racial justice. Pastor Moore pastors a predominantly African-American church. I pastor a predominantly white evangelical church. And we have been, through our relationship, leaning into this conversation on racial justice and the gospel and how the nuances of that conversation. And so we just want to say thank you for the work that the center does for introducing us and for also encouraging the Shades of Hope podcast. Yeah. And if I'm hearing you right, Pastor Jeff, if anybody really doesn't like your podcast or what you're doing, it's it's our fault. That's it's also your fault. Yes. Okay. I didn't want to say that directly, but I just wanted to make sure that there was enough. Just making sure knowledge. I was reading between the lines correctly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, they say that the fruit don't fall too far from the tree. And right. so we're definitely with the offspring of the dynamic work that the Center for Congregations is doing across our great city and region and state. And I am so grateful. I pastor, as Jeff said, a predominantly African-American church in their inner city that struggle with a lot of disparities and some of the barriers that go along with being brown and black in America. And to have the opportunity to get to know Pastor Jeff and his heart was very unique for me as an African-American pastor. And so 
I thank the center all the time when I get a chance that they provided a platform whereby our congregational ministry and lives could cross as we are trying to be that beloved community that Christ has called us to be. And so thank you to the center for allowing this platform. And we get really raw and very transparent Mm -hmm. in the Shades of Hope podcast. And we realize that that's very important. It's a sacred conversation. So we're glad to be with you guys on today. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely our pleasure. And that's one of the things as we've talked about the outcome of the work of the Center for Congregation, something that has always kind of been in the background is just the relationships that get built in the convenings that we create. And I'm so happy that the two of you have met and have found such a fruitful relationship just from the standpoint that, you know, we basically set up the introduction and then y'all took it and ran with it and have learned so much. So just appreciate your work and your friendship and and what you're doing with your podcast. So I'd love for us to kind of jump into the meat of this conversation because I'm really curious, you know, Matt and I have had some episodes on this podcast where we have kind of talked about and had different guests on that have talked about racial justice, especially in light of the racial uprisings of 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about not only what we've seen, but what congregations can continue to do better on this front. And so y'all are having these conversations, you know, week in and week out, episode in and episode out. And so I think we'd like to know from your perspective and the circles that you run in, what kind of progress have congregations made when it comes to living out racial justice as the gospel speaks to it? It's a great question. Not nearly as much as we needed to. You know, we've been behind for a long time. And I'll just speak from my perspective and my very limited purview of congregations. And I will say anecdotally, people who are coming to our church because we're having these conversations are coming from churches who are not having these conversations. And the environment that we're in right now, and I know central Indiana, that's about all I know. Just even metro Indianapolis, it's just such a loaded and highly emotional conversation. And my guess is, just based on who I've talked to, most pastors are having a hard time figuring out how to have the conversation. And many are just afraid to have the conversation because of the potential ramifications to their employment. Do you mean white pastors, Pastor Jeff? White pastors, yes, for sure. White pastors. See, I just had a conversation the other day with a couple who in private had a conversation with the church they just left and their pastor said, I just can't talk about it. Wow. And I know, and it just puts people in that position of danger in a lot of ways in white churches. Yeah, I think from my perspective, maybe there are two things, and that is, I'm so appreciative of a church like Common Ground here in the city of Indianapolis because I do think they are very genuine in trying to understand the perspective of brown and black people and any underprivileged organization or group of people that are struggling in America. I really applaud them for really trying their best to understand, to listen, but I don't see that growing across the congregations that the center supports many areas that you guys support, you know, congregations. I don't see that as being a main focus as it is with common ground. And so I'm very appreciative of that. From my perspective here at New Era Church, it has been a blessing to us because our younger African-American members appreciate the fact that their pastor and members of our congregation are trying 
to bridge the gap of racial equity and racial justice. And so it's been a plus for our ministry that we're having the dialogue, that we're facilitating the dialogue. But I, I am saddened that it's not as plenteous across white evangelicalism in our great city and even in our country. Well, and I'd be interested in just your guys' purview of the church yeah. in Indiana is just way different than ours. You have so many more touch points with congregations. I'd just be interested in what are you guys seeing when it comes to this? Because it has been a couple of years since the waters were stirred again. What are you guys seeing in your work and with your interactions with congregations in regards to racial justice? Yeah. And for those that don't know, Matt and I work out of two different regions. So I'm working out of our Indianapolis office. And so 98% of the congregations I'm talking to are in central Indiana. Mm -hmm. And Matt is in our Northeast office. And so most of the congregations he's working with are in our Northeast region, Allen County and some of the surrounding counties. So we might have slightly different perspectives, but what I have seen is, you know, from like mid 2020 into the first half of 2021, there was a drastic increase in the amount of congregations and congregational leaders that were coming to me and coming to the center asking for grants and information on racial justice, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone was talking about it. They wanted to know, how do we talk about it? I got a handful of resource grants that allowed us to give funding to churches to do programming around this. And it was great. One congregation even opened up a, a Black-owned coffee shop here in Indianapolis wow. that will train and educate people on racial justice as part mm -hmm. of their, their ministry, right? And that coffee shop's about to open. I'm super excited about it. But after that peaked, mid-2021, those conversations, those cases, those grant requests have become fewer and fewer. And for the most part, with the congregations I've been talking to here in central Indiana, it's feeling more and more like whatever business as usual was pre-pandemic. You know, wow. so, so folks mm -hmm. seem to have shifted their attention back to, you know, in some cases, rightly so, like building issues, curriculum, facility expansion, fundraising, those sorts of things. And yeah. I don't remember the last time I got a grant request or request for resources on racial justice. It's huh. It's been a minute. So that's what I've observed in my own casework. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've experienced a similar scenario in Northeast that we definitely had uh, kind of a high point of people asking for resources around racial equity, racial justice types of questions and conversations. I think based on the attendance at our education events, we've continued with a strong, pretty strong representation of people coming to events that are on these topics. Mm -hmm. And Ben, as I reflect on your analysis, I wonder if part of it, though, is that we're not necessarily the go-to for really hard changes in big cultural moments. I mean, you know, we're kind of the go-to, we tend to be more of a go-to place for things that are much more organizationally related, such as facilities or capital campaign fundraising. I mean, those are kind of the most common things that we see. And I would say that even, you know, things like environmental justice or things like political division, we don't get a lot of questions about that because I don't know that we're seen as the go-to place for that. Hmm. Uh, so I think it was encouraging to me to see that people did start coming to us because it was a big enough question. But I don't know that just because we're not seeing those conversations doesn't mean that they're not happening. I, and I could be wrong. I mean, I can't argue from silence. But as I think about the way that we typically look at why people come to the Center for Congregations, I'm hopeful that some of those conversations are continuing to happen. I think I personally fall into that spot of, I think things are getting better, but that's only because I've been doing my own work for the last four or five years. <laughs> that's right. 
And so as you begin to do your own work, you begin to see the allies and the people who are thinking similarly and who are paying attention to justice issues. So in my experience, I have been opened up to a broader world where that is happening more and more. But I don't know if that means it's happening more in society or I just happen to be aware of it now. Uh, I'm not sure which way that goes. It's like when you buy that car and then you realize all oh, everybody's got the same car that you have that you never noticed before. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I think the $20 term is an availability heuristic. Oh. <laughs> Gotta love it. And I'm, I'm laughing to myself, Matt, because in some ways I think this exchange is typical of the different ways that we approach things. I think you have a much more gracious interpretation of people and events and I can definitely be a lot more critical and more of a firebrand, especially around this issue. So I don't share that same optimism, (laughs) partly because I don't know that I can afford to. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. You might be right, but as a person of color, eh, I get no benefit from just assuming the best, right? Especially when historically I look and see that, no, actually, whatever the worst things we could have imagined were, were happening, if not worse than what we imagined, right? So you could be right. I don't know, but I see no benefit in giving folks the benefit of the doubt if they're not openly having those conversations. Sure. No, that totally makes sense. And just to clarify, I mean, our audience probably knows, but the Shades of Hope audience may not know. I identify primarily as Caucasian or white. And Ben, you predominantly identify as? I was waiting for you to fill it in. Uh, black and biracial. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to get it wrong. So that's why I threw it to you. Never answer that question. Uh, you know, I agree with Ben. Also, 100% (laughs) African-American. I'm disappointed. I think that the church is not moving in the direction that I think that the Holy Spirit would have us move in that arena. And I think that the politicalization and the polarization of this issue is very, very disappointing to me. (laughs) And it's why I'm just so excited that we were able to birth the Shades of Hope podcast because it allows me to articulate my frustrations and it allows others to hear the frustrations that agree in the African-American community because we don't see the kind of progress that we think the church ought to be making holistically. I'm talking about the universal church. Mm-hmm. And we know that we're dealing with local fellowships which make up the universal church. We pray that they do. Hopefully they're born again organizations with born-again people running them. But I'm just afraid that, unfortunately, that when it comes to racial equity, they don't put it on the same level as building a new facility or Hmm. evangelization. I just talked to a missionary who was over in the Philippines doing work on poverty and came back to America to the white church that was supporting his mission. But he moved into the African-American community. And so he brought his ministry to the African-American context. He went to the white church for funding and they didn't want to fund him for that. Mm -hmm. They said, because that's not our goal, our purpose, that didn't meet our agenda. And he goes, wait a minute, poor people, whether they're Filipino or, or whatever, why wouldn't you still have the same purpose and agenda? And he was very frustrated. Yeah. Uh, by that. And so I'm not as optimistic as some may think. I think it's good we're having these conversations, but I think we're going to find out in November that there's still a very problematic current, not only in the culture, but in the church when it comes to racial equity, 
democracy, rights, privilege, power, all those things. Mm-hmm. Can I interject something spicy that I just, I can't help but say? So thinking about that church that you referenced, Pastor Moore, that had this ministry to the Philippines, I can't help but suspect that if the leadership of that church understood the colonial history that the U.S. has with the Philippines and recognized our own culpability in the poverty that exists there, I suspect Mm. they wouldn't be as eager to support their mission because they'd have to own our part in creating those conditions. And I think that's a big barrier for a lot of white congregations and people is owning like that Mm. responsibility and naming, oh, shoot, people in my lineage contributed to the conditions that have made people of color marginalized and disenfranchised. And it's taking that ownership that's really tough to do. So I think churches can have these missions to places like Haiti or the Philippines because there's a... let's say a lack of awareness around the roles that the U.S. government has played in creating those conditions. And so it just feels like a a goodwill mission, you know? Oh, wait a minute, my brother, don't turn, don't turn from this podcast. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what Ben just said, oh my God, is so true. And so often it's tough for our white brothers and sisters to really hear. Wow. I'm going to let that marinate with, Matt and Jeff. Jeff, y'all want to jump in there and say something about that? Uh, Guilty uh, (laughs) as charged is pretty much all I got because I do think the geographical deniability that we hide behind to say we do work in other parts of the world as well and we have people eager to jump on planes to go because for two weeks they feel like they're saving helping and then they don't have to have any sort of responsibility for how these people got into the place that they're in Mm. which is why it's hard to get people to you know go two blocks down the street from our church to volunteer at the mlk center Mm. just because there's a lot less deniability geographically and so yeah i mean i think your analysis is spot on this collective forgetting that we practice in order to keep us from having to deal with the effects of bad policy, of how we conquered the land that we live in, the way that the gospel was used as, you know, these papal edicts that we got sent with, that our forefathers got sent with, that told us that we could take the land of the savages in the name of the church. We just don't want to have to dig up that history and have to, to deal with the responsibility that we have for the effects that we experience today. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jeff, you, that just reminds me of a few years ago, my marriage got in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want to deal with it. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just get me another wife. Um, and the Holy Spirit said, no, this is your responsibility. You got to get back in there and work this thing out. Mm-hmm. Because I was getting all the accolades from the other folk in the congregation of how great of a pastor I am and how great of a man I am and for go home and my wife's complaining because I didn't pick up what da 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 or I caused this issue, that issue. I didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. It was much easier for me to stay at church for 12 hours and hear all the accolades. So, you know, your point is well taken. Sometimes I say to my white brothers and sisters is that it is a difficult conversation and it's one that is painful, but I do think it's a sacred conversation that when we stand before the Lord, he's going to want to know why we didn't do more in the arena of creating a beloved community 
that Christ has called all of us to in the New Testament is very clear yeah. as to our purpose for being here on this earth to win souls back to the Lord. And boy, I tell you, Jeff, we've had some incredible guests on and reminded us throughout the scriptures of great incidents in scripture that teaches us to, to have the right kind of hermeneutic and exegesis when it comes to understanding scripture. Why is it that the church of Jesus Christ was born after all the nationalities converged on Israel? It's because God wanted a universal church where all people were on the same plane. Matt, I was interested in your comment on the center's role in sort of resourcing in this way. One of the things that you mentioned was we're not seen as a resource in this particular area. How is the center thinking about their role in resourcing congregations in this way? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have tried to be cognizant of is paying attention to the voices that are speaking around these types of topics, about these types of topics. And I think we've done a pretty good job of identifying some of the authors, some of the podcasters that are really working through a lot of these things in congregational spaces. I think in addition, one of the things that we've done well is we have really taken a hard look at ourselves and said, you know what, we have not done a good job of working with congregations that are not white. We just haven't. Hmm. And we need to fix that. And so we've been working on that for really since about 2016. And the progress is slow, but the progress is there. And I think one of the key pieces that helps us not only learn ourselves, but also learn how to resource others better is we're just genuinely trying to build relationships with congregations that are the non-typical, non-white congregations. And yeah. listen and learn. In fact, we've got an event coming up in about three days here in the Northeast region where we invite African-American congregational leaders to come. And we tell them a big part of this gathering is we need to learn from you because we don't want to assume we know what you need. You need to tell us so that we can be educated and so that we can better serve and better help you. But in the midst of that, I think we're also learning more about what resources are out there what the topics are that need to be focused on. Because, you know, for me as a middle-aged Caucasian male, you know, I appreciate Pastor Moore's correction earlier about the optimism because I'm not the one that it harms if things aren't getting better because <laughs> I'm sure. in a majority culture. Yeah. So it's important. And I was thinking about that in terms of what narratives do we listen to? That's so critical that what narratives do you listen to? Because I think as y'all were talking about you know, congregations and the history of United States influence in other countries or other nations, it's very easy for a person like me to have the narrative that, well, slavery was bad. We're not bad anymore. We do good stuff here. Mm -hmm. And that's all in the past. I mean, we've had a black president, haven't we? So aren't we past the whole racism thing? And these are things, sadly, that I believed in my life history. And it's only been listening to narratives that are different from the narratives of people who look like me or experience life like me that I've realized that, well, not everyone's experiencing life in that same way. And I think that's one of the critical pieces. I think that's what Ben and I have been trying to do with the podcast is to open up narratives of people who are not the typical white American congregants, but are from, you know, other ethnic backgrounds, you know, we've covered a lot of different bases in that way. And so I think probably the most important thing we're doing is we're trying to learn. <laughs> and I yeah. think we'll do better and better and better as we continue to learn. 
So, sorry, that was a lengthy answer to a very simple question, Pastor Jeff, but... (laughs) No, but I do think that posture, it bleeds out in the way that you guys do your work. And I think there's a curiosity that particularly, I'm just speaking from my tribe, white evangelicals lack. We just, we're not curious about other people that are not like us. We very easily stereotype and are prejudiced in ways, but we're not curious. We don't cultivate that wondering that I think is so embedded in what you just said. It's like, I want to know who you are and how you see the world because I see that that affects the way that I see the world. And that, I just even think that simple act, that discipline of being curious has a lot of power if we would choose to use it. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate the way that you described the sender's work, which is really putting yourself in places where you can hear the stories of other people. I think that's a great point. And I will add to that is not only should you ask that question as a result of how African-Americans may see the world, but I think a more important question is how does that affect how I'm serving God? You know, how how is that affecting how I'm serving God? Why should I not only be curious, but why am I so cautious Mm. when this is really part of my Christian duty? Jeff, I love the text you bring up in Ephesians. You talk about the, what is this, Ephesians 2? What is it? Could you quote it for me real quickly? Uh, Yeah, the dividing wall of hostility. Yes, those kinds of things. I think we need to be not so cautious in our curiosity because we want to make sure that we are, I want to say it, that we are meeting the standard that Christ has called us to. I mean, you got myself, 66-year-old African-American man. You got Ben in his early 20s. <laughs> I love that. I'm in my <laughs> mid-30s, but thank you. <laughs> See, okay. See, I wasn't was sure. He's, he's, but we're 30 years apart. Yeah. And yet we're saying similar how we see the actual landscape the same. 30 years difference in age, but we see today's landscape the same as African-Americans. And I think that one of the arenas that I keep hearing white evangelicals talk about is this thing of being afraid because America is becoming more like Ben Tapper, more browner. And I think that God is not the author of fear, as Timothy teaches us, That's right. but of love and, and those things. So our curiosity is great, but I think the caution is what's keeping a lot of the kind of conversations and the change that I would like to see. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm staying in front of this microphone as much as I can, hopefully there's some listener out there that's going to hear our conversation today and ask that question, you know, am I really living the Christ-like life in all arenas as I should be. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. And I want to touch on something that I think will speak to a couple of different facets of our conversation. Matt highlighted the curiosity with which the center is approaching its racial work. And that makes a lot of sense to me. That's very much woven into our DNA. Yeah. The, the concept of appreciative inquiry is like foundational to who the Center for Congregations is. So we've been able to bring that curiosity into a racial equity thinking. What stands out more to me, though, is our courage, Hmm. because we are historically a predominantly white organization. And in starting to do this work and starting to have more podcast episodes about racial justice and putting out more resources on our congregational resource guide about racial justice and having more education events, not everyone 
that has historically been part of our audience has loved that, right? <laughs> we have gotten some feedback saying, hey, <laughs> go ahead, That's Matt. a bit of an understatement. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we've gotten feedback that says, hey, I don't like that y'all are doing this. I'm not going to mess with you anymore. Right. Mm. And that has caused wow. some consternation. Me personally, when I get those emails, I'm like, bye. <laughs> but you know, that's a uh, personal orientation. So it takes courage to do this work Absolutely. the way that we're doing it. And so I appreciate our courage in the same way. I think it takes courage to, for a, a white evangelical Christian, a white leader to wrestle with what does it mean to serve God and deal with racial justice? And I think it takes courage because it might require a reimagination of the God that you think you're serving. Oh my. And that's it's a hard thing to wrestle with. But if you're mm. saying your faith is rooted in Jesus as Jesus is portrayed in the gospel narratives, that God, the mission of that God, wasn't like this esoteric in the clouds type mission. The impact of the mission of Jesus as presented in the gospels was felt and seen on people. Right. You know, when we talk about this, Jesus didn't just preach and leave things be. Jesus preached, Jesus healed folk, Jesus fed people. He was transforming the physical circumstances within which people were living and being oppressed. And so, if our faith isn't then doing the same, isn't then leading us to question the physical circumstances that certain groups of people find themselves in and to ask why and then to work on their behalf or better yet, alongside them for their liberation, then we got to ask, what God are we serving? And and is it the God I thought I'd been serving all along? And that is a terrifying question to ask. You know, I recognize that, but I think for some, it's an important one. At least it was for me in my own faith journey. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) We have lots of theological tricks to get us out of asking those questions, though. Yeah, because your spiritual formation, your seminarian training didn't touch what Ben just articulated. Right. And why did Jesus say I must need to go through Samaria? Mm-hmm. He didn't say, hey guys, you know, I, I like, no, I must need to go through Samaria. Not for him, but he was trying to take them to a space That's right. where there was some prejudice and there was that wall of hostility that you alluded to, articulated by Paul in Ephesians. Yeah, because he wanted to break down some barriers because the Jewish people felt like they were privileged. And I think we do have to start thinking our hermeneutic, our exegesis. Because I'm telling you, and this audience, I'm glad the Center for Congregational Churches are listening to this podcast because y'all going to be so surprised when y'all get to that banquet table in heaven and Jesus come out with an afro. (laughs) Read the book of Revelation. Come on. Lamb's wool. Come on now. All right. That's right. Don't turn that down. Just keep listening. It's going to be all right. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Jeff and I do all the time. We just push buttons, but out of love. Because I want to stand before the Lord. I want to hear him say, well done. Mm -hmm. And I know I hear a lot of my white brothers, especially white pastors in my age group, talk about grace and God's mercy. And that's I agree with that. I mean, there is grace available to all of us because none of us are perfect. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God, but we all preach this thing of growth and trying to become the church that Christ, as he said in Ephesians, the church without spot or wrinkle. Let's keep striving, guys. Let's keep moving toward that mark and let's have these tough conversations, transparent conversations. And it's definitely, it's like tithing. You have to grow. It's a growth thing because it's so antithetical to human nature to want to give up money. So it's so antithetical to human nature 
to want to give up your privilege. Matt, you mentioned some of the blowback you guys have gotten. Organizationally, how do you handle that? So you feel this compulsion toward pressing into this conversation and then you feel that resistance. Mm -hmm. How do you guys handle the regulation of how far, how fast, how much versus, you know, the what's the cost benefit analysis conversation look like for you guys? Sure. I don't know that I have the definitive response to you. Our president handles a lot of those conversations himself because the people who push back on us, we still value them. Right. Absolutely. They still, despite what they may be pushing back on us for, their congregation is important in their community in some way. And we all have good parts of us. We all have parts that aren't so great. Yeah. Myself included. And each congregation, each congregational leader is the same. And so we try to help them understand where we're coming from and say, look, it's fine if you don't share that value. Mm -hmm. We're still here to serve you. If you choose not to access us, that's okay. We respect that. But we're still here to serve you. And we're not attempting to push through our agenda. I think we came to a realization that our stance of neutrality only holds up under so many circumstances. And at some point, neutrality and not sharing our voice in certain areas becomes complicity with problems. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've tried very hard as an organization for 25 years to remain as neutral as we can in order to serve everyone and serve them where they're at and with what they need. And we still believe that, but we realized that the world is so different now with digital media and what people think and know about organizations that we couldn't stay silent on things that we felt were important. And if it causes us to lose some congregations, it's uh, it's an acceptable loss because if we stay silent, then we just remain complicit with the status quo. And that's not an acceptable alternative. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think our stance is also, we're not forcing anyone to consume anything we put out. Right. So, mm-hmm. yes, we are putting out resources and having conversations around racial justice. We're also still talking about mental health. We're still talking about, you know, facilities management. We're still like we're still doing all these other things we've been doing. So yeah. if you don't want to access this piece of our services, it's making you access it. You can still access all the other stuff, you know. So I think that is a central part of our understanding and orientation. Like it's not like you have to listen to the podcast on racial justice to get a grant from us. <laughs> you know, we're right, still right. going to serve you the same. <laughs> yeah, that's what was so powerful about the cohort that I met. Pastor Jeff, uh, was the power of congregations? Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Pastor yeah, Jeff? formative power. Formative yeah. power, that's the right word. Yeah. Formative power of congregations. And it dawned on him as he listened to me that the power of the formative has been a, a lifeline in the African-American community. I mean, we could not have withstood down through the decades the deprivation and the issues that we've had to face throughout the centuries that we've been in America. So the congregation was that lifeline, that's that foundation for us. And then Jeff basically responded to, hey, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. But it all happened right there at the Center for Congregations. And I had conversations with Tim Shapiro, our leader, many years ago, and I challenged him (laughs) I never forget it. I took a risk and I said, you know, I walk in this place and I don't see any black faces on your staff. Mm -hmm. I challenged him about a decade ago. And I said, you're serving congregations, but you're not looking like the congregations in this arena. And he started responding to that. And I appreciate that. But yeah, there's going to be some fallout. There's going to be some risk when you 
start doing things that make the devil mad. And the one thing the enemy does not want is for us to truly come together. Christ's final prayer the night before he was crucified was that they may become one. Hmm. He prayed for the unity of this incredible rainbow of people that would one day call him Savior, that we would be one. Hmm. And the only way we get there is we have these tough conversations, love each other, allow each other to grow, that we might move in the direction that God wants us to move in. Pastor Moore, you mentioned kind of moving in a direction. And so in that vein, I want to return us to the question that started this conversation about progress. And I'd love to know just from each of us, when we think about the universal Christian church making progress on racial justice, practically, what does that progress look like from each of your perspectives? Well, I think that it's hard for me to separate the plight of underprivileged people in America from the ability of the country to progress toward equal rights, equal access to resources, equality of how we treat each other. And those are very basic foundational Christian values. Mm -hmm. And so until I can see the movement of that and not the degradation of that, because I think we've had different pockets in American history where we had a chance to really move forward And each time a group said, no, we don't want to see this progress. I can't be so heavenly minded that I'm not no earthly good. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see more progress in those arenas in order for God's children to have some taste of heaven Mm -hmm. as we dwell down here and building the kingdom of God. Yeah. The problem seems so big. You know, and I think once you start, like Matt was saying earlier that, you know, doing your own work, once you start kind of getting into that process of seeing in ways that you've never seen before and knowing in ways that you've never known before, you realize how big the trouble is. I mean, I think Ben, you even said it's way worse than we thought. Yeah. And so I want to crawl under a rock when I think about it like that. So I have to make things way smaller for me. And I have this little congregation here at the corner of 46th and Illinois. And so progress for me is that we have people who are staying engaged, who are seeing and staying active in their own work where they see differently, they know differently, and then they start to act differently. And I think you know, sort of the, the little yeast works its way through the whole batch. So that like for me, it's this, it's at the congregational level. I think for the podcast, my hope is that a pastor like myself who grew up in a very white evangelical context who understood the gospel as a very particularly narrow sort of thing would feel the courage to maybe open their perspective a little bit to what God is actually doing in the world and what he has been doing in the world. And that would sort of spark some courageous activity in their own ministry influence. But somebody says all politics is local, right? And I feel like for me, all theological work is local as well. And so it's this neighborhood, it's these particular people at this time trying to be faithful. 
knowing that that will work itself out as we are faithful to the spaces that God has called us. But I'll tell you, when I start to think about the big thing, it it makes me feel kind of helpless sometimes. And I think if I could jump back in, having men like you, Jeff, and you, Matt, who are open, who are curious, and trying to figure out how courageous you can step into this thing, it's big for me. And I'm sure Ben would agree with me. It's big to have brothers like you guys with us in this journey and in this battle. As much work as we need to do, it's good to see men like you willing to say, hey, I'm listening, I'm learning, and you know, I'm willing to put my hands to the plow. And in my little world, you know, I want to see how I can make a difference. I think that's big for me. I would just say, it's a lot easier for someone in my position to have a friend who is gracious and generous with his time and with the pace at which it takes for us to get there. And so, you know, Pastor Moore, we've known each other for seven years and we still, yeah, there's still these moments where you regularly say, now, when you say that, is this what you really mean? And so <laughs> just the way that you've been willing to stay in it with me for a longer period of time as well. Because cultural racism is so deep in us. Oh, yeah. It's like when you walk through the spider web, like there's this initial thing where you're like, oh my goodness. And then you're picking stuff off for a long time that you didn't know was there. And I, there's just so much that's stuck to us that has to be taken off that having someone with the grace and the patience, and this is church work, right? This is the work Absolutely. of the gospel is to carry one another's burdens. And I think that may be one of those things that I see progress in is that when we are willing to take up others' burdens as though they're our own, it feels like we're moving in the right direction where it's not just those people or their problems. And I'm going to be over here trying to throw some resources to help fix it. But I actually feel the weight as if it is my own. That feels like we're moving toward something could potentially be that beloved community. And this is where the center of congregations is so mm. critical yep. because they do have the resources that could help us in this battle. And they're getting the personnel at the table to help sensitize them to how they could do that better too. And I think that the more they grow with the Ben Tappers and individuals that are from the other side of the tracks, they can help them more perfectly mold the total movement of what they're trying to do to support congregations. I think the center is very, very important to us. And I would just say that, like, continue to put out there the resources in the racial justice space. Nobody's sending you emails saying, hey, why are we doing another seminar and building campaigns? Haven't we done this enough? When is it going to be too much on the building campaign front, guys? This is the natural response for those of us who don't listen in these ways. It feels like the volume's at 10 when it's really only at two. And so just keep turning it up for us because we need you to do that. And thank you for doing that. Yes, that's a great analogy. Turning it slowly up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't say slowly, but okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> go, go whatever pace you guys feel comfortable with. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, that's keep exactly going. right. Matt, do you have thoughts on what you think progress looks like or could look like? I can only talk about it in my space and sphere. And I think it'll feel like progress if I continue to feel uncomfortable. Mm. I think I need to continue to feel uncomfortable. 
I have had the privilege of being the only white face in several spaces in the last few months. And that has been uncomfortable for me, but it has also been such a delight because I think more people like me need to be in that space because it teaches us and it helps us grow. So there's that. And there's also my kids, watching my kids Mm -hmm. grow up in a very different way than I did. And being hopeful that, you know, as of 2013, Caucasians are in the minority in terms of births in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, it's, it's almost inevitable just from a population standpoint. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work still to be done, but I'm hopeful that when I see my kids looking at some of the ways that I used to think and saying, why in the world would people think like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's affirming and it makes me feel like younger generations are making a lot more progress than my generation is. So those are a couple of things that I look at that make me hopeful that we're at least making some modest progress. I appreciate that, Matt, that framing. If I continue to be uncomfortable, hmm. you know, I think that's progress. And yeah, my prayer is that every white person that's listening is able to take that on and internalize it and step uh-huh. into that. Because discomfort doesn't mean you're not safe, right? And it's a hard truth uh-huh. to understand and accept But once we can wrap our minds around that, it's easier to stay uncomfortable than to witness the growth that results from that discomfort. So I'm just so thankful that you named that. I don't know that I have a clear answer to my own question, which anyone that knows me knows that's normal. I ask a question, I don't have an answer to. I just like the question. (laughs) But as I think about this question, another question comes to mind for me. And the, the question that comes to mind and bubbles up is, where am I culpable? Specifically, where am I culpable for upholding white supremacy? And I think this question is important, and this part might get me in trouble with some folks, because everyone, every congregation, regardless of your racial or ethnic makeup, needs to ask it. There are black congregations Uh that are upholding white supremacy with their ideology, with their practices, in the same way that there are white congregations doing that or Latinx congregations doing it. So I think we all have to ask this question. The levels of culpability are going to be different, no doubt but there's the potential for culpability everywhere. And so if we're all willing to ask and hold that question and to be honest about what the history is and not run from it and to stay uncomfortable, like Matt said, I think there's the potential for continued progress. Amen. Man, I was in a church this past weekend down South. It's my wife's childhood church. And I walk in and more than ever that struck me was this big image of white Jesus behind the pulpit. And they asked me, we've been watching your church up there in Indiana just growing. How y'all attracting all those young people? I said, one thing I did when I got there, I took down that white Jesus. Mm -hmm. They said, all right, we'll talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Culpability. (laughs) They didn't want to hear that answer. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, we, Matt and Jeff, we have our issues too. And we are Mm -hmm. definitely, Matt, Ben makes a very good point that we all have some areas to grow in because we too, Pastor Jeff, has been marinated, culturalized in this thing. And so we have to, I, I took the implicit bias test. I said, Princeton, I forget which you mm-hmm. put that out. I was so angry at myself when I finished. <laughs> I didn't realize I have a tendency to like people look more like Ben than look more like me. Mm-hmm. Light-skinned Blacks. That's real. It's real. This thing is, this implicit bias is real. And it's something we all have to have to work toward and become uncomfortable to say, hey, I can improve in this area. So I agree with, again, as Ben said, Matt said, uh, uh, this has been rich. And I really thank the Center for Congregations for inviting us on to be a part of this conversation. I hope we'll have more like this 
And we pray that both of our podcasts will just continue to to meet the needs of our constituencies. And if nothing else, we'll hear good Lord say one day, well done. You were faithful over a few things. Mm-hmm. And we very much appreciate your time. I mean, to be honest, y'all are probably way busier than we are most days. So <laughs> appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and share. And Center for Congregations podcast listeners, please check out Shades of Hope. The work that these two gentlemen are doing is incredibly important and you will be enriched by it. Uh, you will gain grace by it. So please check it out. Yeah, and equally, Shades of Hope listeners, check yes. out the Center for Congregations podcast and all of the amazing congregational resources that are available through the work that's going on there. Both of our congregations have benefited greatly. There are things that are happening in our church Amen. today that are a direct result of the resources and encouragement and support that the Center for Congregations has given us. So thank you all for the work that you do. We appreciate y'all. It's been real. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. We'd like to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and questions at Shades of Hope Podcast at gmail.com. That's Shades of Hope Podcast at gmail.com. We would also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rate us wherever you access this podcast. Thank you again, and may God bless you as you follow Jesus and strive to make this world a better place for all of God's children.